My name is Dr. Tram Jones, and since 2019, my wife and I have been living in Haiti. This is the story of our life there and the patients we've seen. January 12, 2010, a date that will never be forgotten in Haiti. This was the date that a 7.0 magnitude earthquake struck just south of the city of Port-au-Prince, Haiti. The tremors resulted in concrete buildings across the metropolis tumbling down, leaving miles and miles of destruction. In the chaotic mess of government records and lack of census data, there was no way to count the dead or estimate the extent of the destruction. And now we must add another grim date to the history of Haiti. August 14, 2021. An earthquake even stronger than 2010 hit in the south of Haiti. And to understand and have context for this latest tragedy, we must go back to grapple with the first earthquake. We are going to do a five-part series on these two earthquakes in recent Haitian history. In this episode, the first, we're going to talk about the basics of what happened in 2010, why it was so deadly. In the second episode, we are going to talk in broad strokes about the initial response to that disaster and why it might not have been successful. In episodes three and four, we're going to look at individual organizations as they struggled to provide relief. One of these organizations failed, and one succeeded with flying colors. After all this background, and at this point fully in context, we're going to discuss this year's earthquake in the fifth and final episode. There is so much that can be said about these disasters. We could speak for a full year about the intricacies and stories. There are podcast shows that are dedicated solely to telling individual stories of people during the earthquakes, and you should check them out. I say that so that we all recognize, as we start, that any history told about such an event will inevitably be incomplete. But with that knowledge, let's jump right in. Port-au-Prince and Haiti have been hit by earthquakes for thousands of years. Anyone flying into Haiti for the first time will be struck by the beauty of the high mountains that encompass the island. As we often note, the name Haiti means mountainous land. And those mountains are beautiful. They tower high in the air and then plunge into the ocean. But the beauty has a price. These mountains are the result of eons of movements along two major fault lines. Haiti, as it turns out, is at the edge of the North American and Caribbean plates. These move against each other, creating friction and leading to regular earthquakes. As far back as 1770, Port-au-Prince was devastated with an earthquake, leading to a famine that killed 15,000 people. Since recorded history, there have been six different quakes of the size of the 2010 catastrophe. The 2010 earthquake in Haiti was the worst disaster worldwide in terms of deaths in the last 45 years. The only calamity that even comes close is the 2004 Indian Ocean tsunami. But why was this earthquake so deadly? The primary reason is the shocks could not have hit in a more terrible place. To understand this, you need to know that there are really two Hades. There are Haitians that live in Port-au-Prince, the overcrowded, dense capital city. Some three million people live in a teeming, hot, relatively small area. And this is the first Haiti. And then there are Haitians that live in the countryside. There are areas and villages in the rural parts that are sparsely populated, certainly compared to Port-au-Prince. Unfortunately, in 2010, the tremor hit immediately next to Port-au-Prince. An earthquake of the size that struck Haiti would create damage in any country. Unfortunately, there are specific reasons that the fatalities were much higher here. Anyone who has visited the capital knows that homes are not built like in the United States. They are built primarily from concrete, cinder block, and iron rebar. 
Now, this is not familiar to us in the U.S., but concrete is the most widely used material worldwide. So, this is not simply Haiti. Concrete is cheaper, especially in a country with almost no wood. As you may know, Haiti is essentially totally deforested. From the beginning of the colonial period, forests were cut down to make room for sugarcane and other crops. As Haiti moved to independence, the need for charcoal for fuel led to the continuation of this cycle and trees continued to be cut down. And so wood is very expensive. In Haiti, I once purchased a 4 foot by 8 foot plywood plank that cost more than $100. In addition to the cost, concrete structures do well against hurricanes in comparison to wood. Now that's a really good thing when you're in the direct path of most hurricanes from the Atlantic. However, wood, like we build with in the U.S., has some advantages over concrete in an earthquake. It's flexible, it can bend. Concrete, on the other hand, doesn't have much give. It simply crumbles. Now I say that, but next time you're in a concrete parking deck in California, don't worry too much. We have learned that if you reinforce concrete with steel, it can be as strong or stronger than wood. And herein lies the problem. As Port-au-Prince was built, building codes did not exist. To save money, as the city grew quickly, builders skimped on rebar. They pushed the limits to see how much you could get away with. And the real issue was multi-story buildings. You had multiple levels of concrete buildings with next to no iron rebar, and so it was just concrete holding things together. As the shaking started in 2010, floors pancaked down one on top of the other until the entire structure was a crumpled mess. The damage was staggering in scope. 250,000 homes collapsed. The presidential palace fell in. Port-au-Prince prison was destroyed, allowing a shocking 4,000 inmates to escape. The National Cathedral, the National Assembly, 1,300 schools, government offices, and businesses were wiped away. Much of the services that could have helped in the hours after the tragedy were themselves destroyed. 50 healthcare facilities and the seaport were inoperable. The roads were often impassable from downed buildings. Our clinic founder had just left a large grocery store in downtown. Her son and driver were waiting out front. As they reunited, they turned around to see the store utterly destroyed in the background. In the days after the earthquake, Haitians as a whole slept outside. Often we forget that with an earthquake, there is a severe initial tremor, but in the days afterward, there are aftershocks, often shaking as much as an earthquake in their own right. After seeing their homes and businesses crumble before their eyes, Haitians were terrified to return to their homes. Every Haitian talks about the months after the catastrophe. They say that Haitians slept outside, in front of destroyed homes or in large camps. They shared food amongst themselves. There was very little violence, very little looting. It was peaceful. All Haitians were in pain, but they lived as one people. In spite of the damage, trauma, and sadness, I hear Haitians speak of this camaraderie with reverence. In the weeks following the quake, estimates of the dead started to arrive. In truth, no one knew and no one will ever know how many people died. Estimates range from 100,000 to 300,000 people. Bodies were piled on the street. The stench of death was everywhere. The sheer volume of corpses became a public health and logistical nightmare. There was no time to identify the dead. Most were buried in a massive communal grave north of the city. The rubble from the buildings alone was a nearly insurmountable problem. The city was filled with enough remnants of buildings to fill five Louisiana superdomes fully to the brim. Large swaths of Haitian government officials had died. The apparatus of the state was severely wounded. The head of the United Nations mission in Haiti lay dead under the piles of rock. 
As the world woke up to the disaster, images stirred the hearts of people and governments the world over. Stories of unimaginable suffering and destruction broke people's hearts. The Haitian diaspora, those who had moved away from Haiti, ached for their homeland. As the days went on, the world resolved to stand with Haiti, to help it get back on its feet. People donated amounts, both small and large, determined that aid would not let the suffering persist. That was 11 years ago. Slowly, gradually, the world's attention drifted. There was the BP oil spill and a tsunami in Japan. The Arab Spring was sparked and eventually died. Steve Jobs died, and Haiti was slowly forgotten. But the people were still there. And now, with hindsight, we can look back. What did happen after the earthquake? Did anything come of people's generosity? We will talk about that and more. But for now, we should remember that fact that so struck us in 2010, that in a small country, just 600 miles off our coast, nearly a quarter of a million lives were lost in the blink of an eye. Thank you for listening. Every Wednesday morning, we publish a new narrative from life here. We are simply telling stories as we have seen them in Haiti. But Haiti is a fascinating country with a rich history, and there are many Haitian voices that can tell the story of Haiti in all its facets, and we encourage you to seek them out. As we made this episode, some names may have been changed to protect confidentiality. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends or give us a rating wherever you find your podcasts. To learn more about the work of Light from Light in Haiti or to get involved, visit us on the web at lightfromlight.me. Thank you and God bless.